Welcome back to another episode of your favorite podcast, your favorite hockey podcast. It is Hockey the Podcast. And uh, having a look at the time, having a look at the date, it's uh, not too long to go before we head into the 2021 Olympics taking place in Tokyo, Japan. And it's only fair, it's only right that we head into the hockey ladies and gents that will be doing South Africa proud over in the Japanese capital. With me, as always, it's Tyrant Jabu Barnard. But I tell you what, this time around, we've got some very, very special guests for a very, very special start to a series. It is Talking Tokyo ZA. Ty, how are you doing? Yeah, how's it, Derek? It's always good to talk about hockey. It's exciting when we have a showpiece event like the Olympic Games to prepare for. And, uh, you know, you and I haven't experienced the thrill of the opening ceremony, the, the chance of running on a treadmill next to Serena Williams or bumping into Roger Federer while you're having a cup of coffee or uh, doing a, uh, a boat race against Michael Phelps because you don't want to do an in-the-water race. You have to do something outside with him. Um, but we have collected a collection of... Uh, a collected a collection. That's terrible. What a great start. We have assembled our Avengers tonight, uh, our collection of uh, former Olympians and one man who should have been in Tokyo with the team. They're going to take us through prepping for what we are going to expect what are the highs of being an Olympian? What are the lows of being an Olympian? What are the challenges and how are South Africa going to do? Of course, we'll also be having daily recaps, previews uh, with a massive group of hockey lovers here in South Africa. The South African hockey family are going to be talking together about all things Tokyo. So, I mean, talking Tokyo, really. I'm starting to get goosebumps just thinking about it. Yeah, I, I completely concur. And uh, the name says it all. It's talking about uh, arguably the biggest sporting event on the planet. And it is a year in the making. It's five years in the making. Of course, we were meant to be there last year. It didn't happen. But thankfully, and, and touch wood, it is happening this time around. And I mean, up until weeks ago, we we're still uh, wondering whether this event would still take place. Thankfully, it is the case. Uh, the, the athletes are settling into the Olympic Village. Our very own colleague, uh, Raider Media partner Raymond Herbst, uh, is with them, uh, especially getting friendly with the hockey folks as well. And yeah, it's, it's all systems go for the 2020 Olympic Games. Uh, I can't wait. I can't wait to see everyone in action, but particularly... I can't wait to see South Africa's men and women hockey sides in action. We know it's been bumpy rides in the past, but this time around, both teams doing the business over in Japan. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, the fact that both teams are there and we're seeing the photos coming out from, from the village. I mean, uh, if you are a hockey lover and you are a South African, you can't not be smiling about the fact that the teams are there. That there was uh, no carpet pulled out from under their feet at the last minute. And, and they're there. And, uh, you know, maybe we're not as fully prepared as we would have liked thanks to COVID and whatever other reasons, but we're there. And we know that the South African spirit is going to be on show. And, and that itself is something so incredibly exciting to look forward to. And, yeah, like you say, I, I can't wait. I can't wait for the games to get under the way. At least the first few games for me are, are, are going to be a normal time. There's a few where we need to get up at 2.30 in the morning, uh, but it'll be worth it. It's freezing cold, so uh, I think I'm going to maybe 
watch uh, watch the games from my electric blanket bedroom. But uh, nah, to be fair, Ty, you, you do that anyway. Uh, we all yeah. know that uh, how, how you hate the cold. Uh, so I don't think it could be any time of day, whatever the temperature, that electric blanket's going to be on regardless. But uh, you know, no, but Derek, listen, listen, yeah, yeah just. To, I know you'll never let me live it down. Derek and I were covering the indoor hockey in Durban and it was quite warm. And I don't know what I was thinking. I, I wear hoodies all the time and I put a hoodie on, but it was like 30 degrees. And he just looked at me and was like, what? It's about three degrees now. And I'm wearing a hoodie and Derek is in a short sleeved t-shirt. So <laughs> there's something not right with your brain, Derek. Uh, that vaccine has gone straight to your head. But um, yeah, I mean, look, if we want to talk about South Africa's hockey and at the Olympics, there's only one place that we can start, and that is all the way back in 1996 in Atlanta. Um, only eight teams in the women's competition, and our, our women didn't qualify, although they were African champions. Uh, the men did get to go, and our first guest tonight was one of the men that got to go. Um, Craig Jackson was one of the team members. He was 2004, the captain of the team. But uh, Craig, welcome to the show, and uh, yeah, I mean, just thinking about the build-up towards Tokyo now must bring back some memories from both 1996 and uh, 2004. Yeah, thanks, guys. Nice to be here. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, uh, it's very serendipitous. I must say, it's, it's, uh, you can't help not think back when when the Olympics rolls around, having been there before. Um, and I suppose I was fortunate, as you mentioned, to go to two of them. Both very different in that the first time I went, I was, you know, very, very wet behind the ears. I think I was 20 years old and I was, you know, I think half the, most of the team were a little bit like duck, um, deer in the headlights. Whereas in in uh, Atlanta, eight years later, um, you know, we had the, a bit more maturity and, and, and certainly the ability to appreciate the moment. Because I think, you know, the, one of the dangers, I think, is that you're on this massive stage and because of your because you're so overwhelmed by things before you know it, the two weeks is, is just rushed by, or, I mean, you're obviously there for longer than two weeks, but the, the two weeks of competition have just rushed by. Um, and we were very conscious as a team, certainly in the, in the, in the second Olympics that I went to, to try and embrace every moment. And I think that's part of the challenge that both our teams are going to have now. Um, you obviously don't want to get over overruled by the situation, but you also want to, you know, appreciate what that you're part of this this bigger event and this world event. And as as Derek says, no doubt in my mind, certainly as an amateur sportsman, the the pinnacle of of of, of our sport. Um, so yeah, I think you know very very fond memories. I mean, you still live now looking back. Um, Jake's was was part of the the one team that I was that I, that I that was at the Olympics and. I still, you know, relive some of those games and what could have been and, 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 you know, we came so close to, to really achieving something and, and hopefully our guys and our girls get it, get it right this time. You just need one or two things to go your way. And, um, you know, as you, as you guys know, it's covering sport, the, the higher up you go in terms of uh, the level that you're competing at, those margins get thinner and thinner and it's, you know, it's just ball goes your way on the day and, and suddenly you're in, in, in a, in a, in a, a semi-final or a quarter-final, whatever the case may be, you know. So hopefully, um, hopefully the guys and the girls embrace the opportunity. Um, you know, really appreciate and live the moment, and 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 don't get too overawed by the situation, and just just do us all proud. 
Yeah, Craig, you are just one piece of what is an absolute stellar lineup taking part this evening. And thanks so much for joining us. Great to have you on board. So we we kicked off in Atlanta. We moved over to Athens and let's head over still in Athens. And then we move over four years later to Beijing and none other than Bruce Jacobs also joining us who, who had the honor of, of captaining the side in 2008. Bruce, uh, again, it must bring massively fond memories thinking back to, to China. Yeah, thank you for, for having me guys and uh, also awesome to see familiar faces again. Uh, I hope you're all doing well and safe. Um, yeah, it, ha- it has been... Uh, quite a, a journey for me. And uh, I think Jack has mentioned that I've been part of the, the team that played at the Athens Olympics. And that's one thing I do in Olympics, uh, Olympic Games. But it's quite an honor and, uh, and a privilege to actually captain your, your side at an Olympic Games. So for me, captaining the team in Beijing was was, was incredible experience. Um, but as Jack has said, uh, you also don't want to have those regrets. And, and sometimes you get so overwhelmed by things that before you know it, your, your tournament is over. And, you know, it's those small margins where results just don't go your way. And it's a difference between playing maybe for a top six or playing for relegation or last place. So, so for me, Athens was probably one where Jacko has mentioned that we really played some good hockey and in and, and that uh, games, I think one or two results just didn't go away, whether it was these bad decisions or whatever. Um, but I think that that game was, was incredibly uh, good for us in terms of our performance. Beijing for me personally was a completely different games in the sense that uh, we probably didn't perform as well as what we wanted to. Uh, but I think it was also due to partly our preparation. I think if you go back to how we qualified for Athens, we had to go through another route, not just going through Africa because we actually lost in the final to Egypt. So we had to go to Europe. And I think that was kind of a blessing for us to actually go that route because it helped us prepare better mentally because I think going to Europe and playing that qualifier, I think that that was probably the most mentally challenging tournament that we went to. But it also really stood us in good stead going into the Olympic Games in, in, in Athens. It's interesting because obviously it was Belgium that we beat on a penalty shootout to secure that spot. And speaking of the Athens Games, there was a very young player in the women's side. Uh, she was, I think, about 20 years of age. For some reason, she retired a few years after this. Uh, she could have gone to a few more. Uh, and, of course, joining us tonight is Tuanelo. Coach, Polo. Uh, Polo, it must be absolutely like, I mean, I know you've been involved with the men's side now, working with Springs and the team. Uh, is there a part of you that uh, wishes you had maybe gone to more? Um, but obviously, the experience of being at one can never be taken away. Oh, well, um, guys, amazing to have all of these legends <laughs> all here together. Firstly, that when I saw the lineup, I was like, "Goodness, this is this is this is me." And I'll I'll tell you the story later about how I felt in the Olympic Village when I saw one of my proper like idols. Um, but yeah, um, Athens was special, and what what made Athens so special was it was the centenary of the Olympic Games. Um, and we went there uh, a few months earlier to do the, the pre-Olympic tournament to test our things. And from that to what we arrived to when the games were happening was chalk and cheese. Um, you know, the, the Greek government, even the South African consulate, they stopped at nothing to make sure that we had 
the best experience. Um, and could I have gone to more? Yeah, uh, but life happens. And when I look at where um, my path has taken me, I am incredibly happy, incredibly blessed to be where I am right now. And, uh, you know, Tyron, you, you've spoken about me working with the men's team. That has been something that I didn't really think about. But when it was, um, yeah, when I got the, the call from Springs, just asking me about uh, what are your plans, where are you going? And I think I'd love for you to join us. And I was like, there's no way I wouldn't. So it's been an incredible uh, about 18, 20 months with the, with the men's team. Um, and we have such a great group of young and experienced men going to, to these games. So I can't wait to see what we're going to produce because we have worked so hard to, to put things together in the right way. And I think we are going to peak at the right time. Moving over now, and and great to have you all on board, Paula. Great, uh, great to see you, and yeah, it's, it's amazing to see uh, what you have achieved over the last uh, almost two years uh, with working with the men's side. And, and moving over to a triple Olympian, two thousand and four, two thousand and eight, twenty twelve. Uh, Paula, I think you can introduce her. Actually, who, who am I talking about? <laughs> You're talking about the legendary Marsha. Uh, most of them will know them know her as Marsha Marisha, but this is the legendary leader that is Marsha Cox. Marsha Cox. I'm not the only one, though. I'm not the only triple triple Olympian <laughs> the, the, on this call. Yeah, to, to be fair, there, there are there are two. There's actually Kate and yourself. Uh, so we've got to yes. be specific. So Marsha, 2004, <clears throat> 2008, 2012, twice as yes. captain. Uh, Kate, uh, 2004, 2008, 2012, as well. Um, but Marsha, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll bounce between you and Kate. Three times at the Olympic Games, uh, we... we and I spoke about our colleague now, Raymond Haps. So he's been over there for three, four days. So he's a media representative. He's just in the Olympic Village, which is amazing. But I mean, for myself and Ty, that is mind-blowing. Just to even be able to, to walk around there. You got to be there and compete and captain for three Olympics <laughs> in a row. And like, is it still overwhelming? Do you still think about that and think, wow? Yeah, I do. I think... You know, um, Kate, you can also just jump in. I think it's nice if we have a little chat about it. But I think, you know, there are just so many different elements to it. Each game is so special and unique. And there are special moments from each game that, like, I think are imprinted in my brain. Um, and I'll never forget. Um, they Like, it's just layered with so many different emotions every single time from Craig mentioned it, you know, your first time. And I think it's the term that was often, I was, Kate, you would probably laugh because I don't know if you remember, but for Athens and the build up to Athens, I was often called in for handling distractions. So <laughs> how to handle distractions. So I think that that's, that is, you know, something that is always going to be an element for any team um, is the, the first one for some of the team members where you do have distractions and it's not just in your team, it's for every single athlete at the games. And I think we were just fortunate that we didn't have social media where we felt the need to be posting things. <laughs> the, the pressures were on, on making sure we didn't drop cameras or, 
Um, so in that regard, I think that our distractions are slightly different, but nonetheless, they were there, um, you know. So and then your second and your third one is it, it then becomes a little bit more interesting because you think you've got some experience, but like Paula says, the game starts and it's just a different ball game. And I don't think that it matters how many Olympic games you go to. That's always going to be the case. The, the other teams have been preparing um, the other teams are also going to be distracted. I think this year in particular with COVID and the year and a half that every single country has faced, knowing that just outside the village, there's protests happening, knowing that there's nobody going to be in the stands. And these are like elements that you kind of look forward to in the games, having your family in the stands and waving to them. And one of the things that I also want to talk about is that, you know, like, um, Years ago, you never had very many mums at the Olympics. And Kate was one of the, the first few, I think, at an Olympic Games to, to be a mum uh, in London. And now you're seeing that also being an element uh, where more and more women are going and having their babies and coming back and competing. So you've got top athletes in the world um, on this Olympic stage. And you know that some of them are also having to uh, handle that dynamic of, of their babies. And I think They've, the IOC have allowed breastfeeding moms to take their babies as well. So, you know, like I can't imagine what it's like for everybody this year where you've got so many new, unique situations. And just reflecting on our experience, um, I, I, I sometimes get nervous for, for these athletes thinking about all of these other extra uh, elements that are at play. I don't know about you, Kate. Sure, how things have changed, hey, Marshi. But yeah. uh, truly, yeah, I, I think to your point, um, you know, all three Olympic Games hold such a special place in my heart, but they were also different. Um, I think, uh, unlike unlike Jacko in Athens, he had experience. I think I was Bambi in the headlights. You know, just like, wow, what have I just arrived to? You know, the it was just so overwhelming and actually just so surreal. Um, and then Beijing with a little bit more experience under the belt, you know, I think for me also personally, it was it was probably quite a peak in my career um, and, a, and a different experience. And then and then London was, yeah, as Marcia said, with my with my little one and a half year old in the stands uh, su supporting me. Um, so really, really different experiences. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Sia on my screen here and my heart is bleeding for you, young man. I, I'm, I'm really, really, really sorry to, to hear what's happened um, but every single player that's there, um, you know, it's it's something that is going to be etched in the in the hearts and minds forever, and it's an experience of a lifetime. And for for our men and women that are over there at the moment, you know, it's not just about the results, as we all know. Um, it's about what it's doing for the sport in our country, and and for young girls and boys just to have that sort of those heroes to aspire to, and also the dream to work towards um, to go to the Olympics. So I think as South Africans, our journey is never going to be the same as, as some of the other professional teams um, and the outfits, you know, and, the, and really, um, I think it's, it's just pointless comparing our journey and sponsors and what they have and what we don't. But it's what should actually scare our opposition is our resilience and our fight that we bring. And anything can happen. I think, Marsh, we've seen that in Athens yeah. when we beat the Germans 3-0 who went on to win yeah. the gold medals um, when we set that record in, in London against USA 7-0, you know, anything can happen on the day. And so it's about bringing that South African spirit and passion and, and giving it everything over the next two weeks. And, you know, I just want to add to that, like what Kate says is so true because 
the end of the day, everybody just remembers the top three who goes home with the medal. And nobody remembers anybody else thereafter. And the exactly, you know, I share the exact, the exact same sentiments as Kate. Our, our journey and our story is more important for the uh, pathway that it, it opens up and the inspiration that it, it gives to the, to the youth. And I think that if we t- just remind ourselves that and just keep focused on that, then maybe the way we also experience the games and the results of the games might be sometimes different. Uh, different because I don't know but for those of us who have who have been there and experienced that opening game well for us the ladies where we we just got caned every opening game you know like it's heartbreaking you you just brought to your knees and I think actually if we were just uh, reminded at the time and kept somebody just kept help keep us like both feet on the ground and just remind us that actually that result isn't really that important because it's more about the legacy that we leave behind and and not whether we come home with the medal or not because they they're going to be many other teams walking home empty-handed absolutely Marcia. we are actually having this conversation uh, very recently um regarding one of the things that our South African Olympic Committee had previously said was that they don't want to pay money for people who aren't likely to medal. And fortunately, that's not really in line with the Olympic Charter at all. And uh, only three people are going to medal. So Jamaica wouldn't be able to send three sprinters then. That would cause problems in their country. But, you know, another person who has been, of course, is a regular friend of the show, uh, not not that long ago that he was here and telling people. I think it's been about a week since want... we, since his last son, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. The, the way you two are talking on social media, I maybe should have let you introduce him. <laughs> I feel like I'm coming in between you. Uh, but uh, no, listen, Justin Reed Ross, the man who uh, there are iconic photos of scoring bullets. Uh, one of his goals was chosen by the FIH as a great Olympic goal. And it probably wasn't actually his best goal at the Olympics, but Justin, I mean. Not just did you experience the Olympics with London 2012 and going crazy next to Oscar Pistorius and the, the opening ceremony and making a documentary now, you know, getting hockey on the map. But, I mean, you also got the experience of scoring goals there and, and playing in front of some amazing crowds uh, there in London. Uh, you, you must look back and, and just smile on the experience that you had. Yeah, Todd, first of all, thanks, guys, for, for having me again. I feel like I'm part of the furniture now, which is, uh, which is always nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. You say, looking back, you know, stuff that gets etched into your brain. I think for a lot of people on the screen here, maybe that was. I found it really difficult to, to flash back and remember <clears throat> my Olympic experience. I think I was so, so in the moment and so focused on what I was there to do that I found it really difficult to look back now and actually remember certain moments. Um, what I do remember quite clearly, and this is something that uh, that Marsh and, and Kate alluded to, is legacy and, and inspiration. And there's one player in particular on the screen uh, at the moment who is responsible, I think, ultimately, and, and part of the team in Atlanta that uh, that motivated me to want to become an Olympian. That, you know, Jacko, uh, watching that first game, uh, you guys playing against Australia, uh, Mark Hager scoring towards the end of the game and Beefy scoring the equaliser. I mean, I was 10 years old at the time going absolutely berserk. And I didn't even play hockey. Um, I didn't want to play hockey. You know, everyone knows my dad was a, was a pretty big hockey player back in the day. I didn't want to play. I was a rugby player. 
but that changed me um, and and put me on the course to yeah to to becoming an Olympian myself. And then watching obviously, sorry, obviously, um, you know, Revo taking the the reins in uh, in two thousand four with with you guys um, and and uh, and Paulo being there with the ladies and seeing what you guys achieved, Marsh, obviously Katie as well. You know, I'm sharing the screen here with people that basically inspired me to 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 want to be an Olympian and uh, and eventually eventually get there. Which is yeah, you know, thanks to you guys. I don't know if I've ever had the chance to tell each of you guys that. Um, but yeah, that, that's what that's what this is all about, I think. And that's what these players that are that are in Tokyo at the moment need to remember. It's not it's not about you as an individual athlete, um, especially as a South African hockey player. I believe it really is about um, you know motivating and inspiring and leaving a legacy for the next generation uh, to want to achieve something more than what we were maybe able to achieve uh, given, given the circumstances and the situation we were in at the time. Um, you know, I think we're all, everybody here is very proud of what they achieved in their careers and, and, and see you've still got a lot to look forward to on that. Um, but yeah, ultimately our, our time is up now uh, and hopefully we did that little bit to motivate uh, the guys that are there um, and the girls that are there in one way or another um, to leave their own legacy and uh, and to make something special happen. And maybe that's in one game. Maybe that's in the entire tournament. We don't know yet. Um, but I'm certainly, certainly excited to watch the guys and the girls um, Yeah, leave something special behind out there. Yeah, you speak about the next generation. His name's popped up a few times. But, uh, you know, the last member of our panel tonight is Sia Nolichungu. Now, Sia was uh, supposed to be in Tokyo with the team as the reserve goalkeeper. Unfortunately, he's injured his shoulder and had to uh, withdraw and have a surgery. But Sia, you know, I did send this to you in a message, but I want people to hear it. I think that the manner in which you've handled this disappointment is a lesson for everybody around the country on how you take disappointment and use it to inspire. I've seen many people seeing the way you've reacted and turned around and said, Man, that's what a South African is all about. And I don't think there's a person in the world that does not hope for you to be on that plane uh, in 2024 in Paris, getting your Olympic rings then, getting that tattoo and getting the OLY. And, and you know, I wanted you here because, yes, you're not an Olympian yet, but you have the spirit of one. And so thank you for joining us today. Thanks for inviting me, Ty. Really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, see, I mean, obviously for you, it's a little bit different. You've been part of the current squad and, and we really want to dig into to that a little bit as we preview the tournament. You know, how, how would you say uh, the team were feeling ahead of this? You were part of the camps in Potchefstroom. Um, you know, it, it's been a difficult 18 months, COVID. You know, we, we're talking about lockdown. We're almost on day 500 of some form of lockdown here in South Africa. Um, we haven't been able to play hockey. We got a we got an opportunity against the Mobi, but that's been it. What is the vibe like in the team? Because nobody here would have experienced what you've experienced. Yeah, Ty. Um, uh, thank you so much for having me. It's so awesome to be part of something so special and going forward. Um, I'd say it began it began uh, late 2018. Um, Marissa had come down to one of our training sessions and was like, realistically, these are these are the criteria in order for you guys to qualify for the Olympic Games. Uh, we had to win an African Cup and qualify at an international tournament at FIH Series India. And 
in that moment, it seems so, so surreal because uh, we just come back. It's a new group of lads. The squad has been extended to close to 45. So there was quite a big a big number of players and we had set a buy-in from, from all 45 of those players leading from that date. And to go to India uh, to beat the odds and still uh, finish in the top two in FIH, which was really, really amazing. That was a box ticked. And the next phase was uh, winning African African Cup in Stellenbosch. Uh, probably one of the most amazing things playing uh, on AFCON at your home at your home ground because the support is there, the vibes there, and the victory is that much more sweeter. And yeah, it's just been a build-on process from there. And then we went into into the series we played against the USA in Durban, and it was nice to have uh, home supporters for a change. And also playing Namibia at home in Johannesburg was also another another big highlight. And of course, leading leading towards 2020 when we played Germany in Johannesburg and we managed to snatch a draw out of them with their with their big guns. It just goes to say that the guys had bought into what we we had been preparing over the past couple of years, and it sort of emulated, especially during lockdown. Uh, we started tackling our cultural piece. And I think that was the biggest fundamental in the whole team environment because most teams normally focus on just the physical, the tactical, and the technical side. But we normally forget about the mental side. And that's where I have I've been fortunate enough to be part of the squad since 2017. Uh, obviously, working uh, very well with Rassi uh, Gowen and Richard Curtis uh, for, for quite some time. And you learn a little bit of resilience and uh, you, you become tough as nails uh, learning with those guys because some of them are very old school and some of them are very very new with ideas. So it's, it's always so cool to just uh, pick, pick a, 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 little, a little attribute for each and, each and every one of them. But they yeah, are leading towards that. It's just been such a nice buy-in from everyone because we all have uh, come from different backgrounds. We all have different personalities. We all see hockey in a different light because a uh, majority of us have played in all parts of the world. We've, we've got about, I'd say, 50% of the squad have been uh, playing all over the world. So everyone has a different idea. Even local guys are coming with something quite special. We've got, we've got close to 60% of the squad being under 30 if you look at the rest of the Olympic teams, most of them have majority of the experienced players. And that is something that is so special that hasn't been seen quite often in big stages. So I'm, I'm really, really excited to just see my peers just uh, go out there. As you said, it, it is tough in the moment to, to, to send your guys off. But when you have a buy-in and such, such an amazing trust amongst each other, you, you put your pride aside and the team comes first and, who knows? Maybe this is the Olympic Games where we make a playoffs, or maybe even even medal. Doing the impossible. These are these are moments that that count the most. And if this is what it takes for me to be a part of that process, then I'm willing to go every step of the way. Ah, uh, Sia, you know what I. Uh, I must commend you on having a, a tremendous outlook. Uh, many people would be so disheartened with uh, the circumstances that have been dealt uh, towards you. But 
everyone that I speak to in hockey circles, they said, you know, while it is disappointing for Sia, make no mistake, he will be there in future Olympic Games. You're young, you're talented, you're extremely determined. And uh, yeah, in this uh, short speech that you made there now, uh, that comes across loud and clear. So uh, we've got absolutely no doubt that that, that you will be representing South Africa uh, on the biggest stage in, in a couple of years' time. So so don't worry about that. And, and you'll, you'll heal and you'll be back uh, more fitter, Firing and and more talented than ever, we can assure you. And I'll tell you what, uh, because we had uh, Paulo uh, shaking her head, uh, or no, nodding profusely. Uh, come in there, Paulo, because as soon as he was speaking about what the, the team would do over uh, in Japan, you agreed wholeheartedly. Yeah. I mean, we've got... We, we've worked hard on um, understanding where we could be better, where we can't realistically improve right now um, and looking at where we can take those opportunities. Um, I haven't watched as much hockey as I have in the last two years um, and, and we analyze every little bit and you, you can't you know, predict what's going to happen on the day, but you can give yourself a chance by kind of knowing what the pattern is for the teams that you're playing there. So, um, was for there. This 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 men's team right now that um, and the culture that is in that's within that team you can hear from Sia that it's all heart right it's all heart. Um, I I play a tiny role in being very detailed with the strikers and just that right and we we can see one or two holes in in teams and we can we know what we're good at um, and yeah. Listen, this is going to be special. I, I really can't wait. Like you, like Tyron, you said, can this start already? Because that's that's all I'm waiting for. Like, can we get on the field? Can we have that first whistle go and let the magic happen? Because the guys in this team, um, and I'll only speak about the guys because that's what I know, right? The amount of work um, off the field, on the field, together in closed rooms, has been incredible. It's second to none to any team that I've ever worked with. So I can't wait to for us to get what we deserve. Um, and and I think and that's going to shock a lot of people around the world. And and that's all I'm going to say about about what we're expecting to see when we get on the field. Yeah, I tell you what, we can't wait to see the teams shock the world over in Japan. Let's. Okay, there's a lot of us in the room, uh, and no one, <laughs> no one cares about Ty and I. Uh, I promise you, no one wants to hear our words. So we really going to be moderators throughout this thing, and we're going to kind of be the oil that lubricates the machine, uh, to to put it really mildly. Uh, so we want you, ladies and gents, to talk openly and just chat. It's a roundtable discussion, but let's go right back to Craig because it's been a while since we heard from him. And Craig, you're going to kick things off, and then I want everyone to just jump on board and just chat amongst yourselves. Uh, if uh, need be, myself and Ty will fill in the gaps, but I promise you no one cares what we have to say. Uh, Craig, just going back, uh, favorite Olympic Village memory? Yeah, I'll probably come from uh, um, Athens because, like Justin said, uh, Atlanta was a bit of a blur. Um, but 
just we we had a we had a thing, and it's part of. I mean, you're getting a sense from 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 Sia that the the men's team certainly. I can speak more authority on the men's team than, than the ladies. There's certainly a bit of a vibe there, and and, and that's that's the, that's the almost an essential ingredient that you need. And I think back to our uh, our team at um, at uh, Athens, uh, Jake's. Uh, we had a thing called the Davy Carr Award, which Dave Carr is our manager, and he used to hand out the shirt out every day for the the man of the match or the, the man of the day, and that guy had to, if it was a caricature that someone had drawn of, of Dave Carr, um, and you had to go and get that shirt signed by a world-famous athlete. And what you got to remember in the Olympic Village is, I mean, you might see, you know, someone said Serena Williams, or you might see, you know, whoever, these 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 world superstars, but you're not going up to them as some ob because you're there in your own right as, as an elite athlete, and, and they realize that. So suddenly you can approach anyone for an autograph and a chat or whatever. You bump into them in the in the McDonald's queue trying to steal a few nuggets, Jakes. I remember that story well. Uh, <laughs> we can talk about just now. Um, but but the, the highlight for me was probably handing over that, that shirt to Dave Carr because at the end of two weeks, he, he had this memento from the Olympics signed by, you know, 14 of the world's top sportsmen, which was pretty cool. And uh, some, some of the stories of the guys getting those, those signatures was quite, was quite special. Classic. There must let's be lots of other guys, yeah. Bruce, let's, let's hear about <laughs> the maybe, Nuggets. Maybe, maybe yeah, let's move on to Bruce and then the, 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 the McDonald's <laughs> Nuggets story. And then you can hear, while, while Bruce is unmuting, you can hear yeah. Marsha's mischievous giggle in the background. So Marcia, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just listening to Jack talk about Athens and then I'm getting flashbacks of, of various moments. And, yeah. <laughs> and um, in the past few years, I've also managed to spend lots of time with uh, Ned. And he often talks about <laughs> about some of those Athens memories as well in the village. Yeah, and that, and that, because that, those that's, are for that's the men to talk about. That's the great thing about the Olympic, about team sports, is that you've got all these different characters in your team. You know, Ned, often his name pops up, Stanley, Dave Stanley pops up, you know, and it's those guys. I mean, you think back in your career, you miss the games and you like the, the odd game where you, you know, you, you had a big surprise or you, you know, it's your turn with cap or whatever the case is. But it's those off-field moments that that really stick in my mind, you know, and, and it's, it's that's brought about by, you know, playing tennis or you're playing golf. You're not going to get those moments, you know, unless you're in a Ryder Cup or whatever. But, you know, hockey – we unashamed amateur sportsmen and, and, and that's the joy of, of playing the sport, you know, and, and I mean, I'm still, Nettie's obviously there with the Belgian team as assistant coach. I'm probably chatting to him, you know, once a week or so, but um, yeah, some, yeah, as you say, as we are running through this, the memories come flooding back, but I think it's, you know, I want to take Jake's stand here. I want to hear that story again. It was such, such a yeah. cool one. <laughs> He's shaking his head at me. <laughs> Athens, there were so many fond memories. I mean, from, like you said, meeting uh, guys that you only see on TV um, to um, going and seeing uh, Athens and uh, obviously being so significant. Paula mentioned, you know, the first Olympic Games was held in Athens and to go there and, and go and visit the, the sites um, to having the David Carr Award. Uh, but for me, there's, there's some special moments, like you said, off the, off the, the field and yeah, and I, I have fond memories, and I'll never live down that that uh, chicken nuggets. But I also, before I go there, I think Marsha and Paula, do you remember? You spoke about uh, distractions, and we, <laughs> we had Revs as a coach, and you guys had um, 
Roz. Roz. And we couldn't, it was almost like we couldn't even greet each other. No. <laughs> what was it? Cacao. Cacao. Yeah. So like, uh, but yeah, going back to the village, I mean, going into the village uh, and, and seeing all this, you know, free Cokes, free ice creams, uh, McDonald's in the, the, the dining hall and, you know, we professional athletes and Red has given us a whole brief about, you know, we need to focus and we need to be disciplined. And if you're going to go to McDonald's, you're going to order a salad and be like, go to McDonald's, order a salad. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, when we sit together, we all have to sit there and everyone is just checking, okay, what you've ordered, what you... And one, one day I said, shit, I really, I, I really craving for, for this chicken nuggets, but I, I know I can't just order these nuggets and there's got to be a way I can get these nuggets in. And then I said, okay, I'm going to order a salad, but then I'm going to take chicken nuggets and I'm going to dig all these chicken nuggets under the <laughs> Like I've got a salad. And then uh, <laughs> uh, we were eating and then for some reason, you know, the guys were having a little chuckle because they obviously figured out what had happened. And then, I don't know, someone, I think it must have been Emil, just, you know, kind of ratted on me and said, Jake's, what are you eating there? And everyone looked and everyone just had a good laugh. And I was, you, know, you don't want to disappoint the coach. You don't want to disappoint the agent. I had a similar situation in London with our friend Julian Hikes, uh, walking into the village for the first time at the dining hall, obviously spotting the golden arches at the back. Uh, Butty's eyes lit up. And I think within about 10 seconds of walking, Clarky was on to him. Booty, no McDonald's while we're competing. So we had this massive sit-down talk, and you can see Clarky was getting pretty serious. You know, the veins started started twing, twitching a little bit, <laughs> and it must have been a, yeah. We we lost I think two games in a row in two days. So we we had a narrow defeat to Spain, followed by a narrow defeat to Pakistan. And after the Pakistan game, we got home late in the evening, and Booty had just had enough. Couldn't take any more. Went straight to McDonald's. Walked back with a super size uh, Whopper, uh, what they call it, a quarter pounder, and sat down. And assuming that uh, Clarky wasn't going to be coming in, and Clarky walked in, and it was just a meltdown in the middle of the floor in front of everybody in there. And, like the whole, and we scattered like cockroaches. We were like, "There's no way we can be around this." The vein was popping about a couple of centimeters off Clarky's head. And yeah, uh, the next morning we had to have a, a, an apology session from uh, from Booty in front of uh, in front of the whole team. And uh, yeah, needless to say, by the end of the tournament, after we won our last game, uh, I think we ate McDonald's uh, exclusively for three days straight, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, each and every one of us. So uh, yeah, the McDonald's in the in the village, I think, has been cause for for quite a few headaches for coaches over the years. And you know that I don't think there's actually McDonald's this summer on. Ty, did you get that from Ray? Yeah, Ray seemed to hint that McDonald's weren't dead unless uh, they're just in a special dining hall somewhere else. Uh, I think the but yeah, sure. from the pictures we're seeing, we, I'll, I'll ask. Well, no, they're all sleeping right now. <laughs> Can't ask anyone right now. But uh, Marsha, you are a fairly um, very always serious, above the line, never mischievous person. Um, <laughs> What what other non- what what other nonsense, um, nonsense that you're allowed to share 
goes down in the village that i mean i know there's always this thing and mm. i'm not i'm not going to that i'm not referring to that but there's always the statement that says what happens in the village stays in the village and <laughs> what else is allowed well, out i think of there's village? lots of stories that came out of the villages um <laughs> but yeah i don't know there was <laughs> it's always quite funny because whenever there's like um celebrity uh athletes that walk in then you see and the volunteers forget that they have a job to do. So that's also like, that's the first point. So they forget that they are controlling something and they like drop everything and dash. So you see like massive crowds. Um, so every few days you, you hear like, you see crowds running or you hear so-and-so is in the dining hall or like Messi's walking through the village. And then you, you make it like a dash to try and find him. And then you can't actually see him because his team is protecting him and walking like all the way around him and guarding him. But I think one of the nicest ones was uh, when we bumped in, in London, we bumped into Roger Federer as a team. So we were out on our team walk and uh, like, that, which is also quite unique when you you actually are walking somewhere as a team. I think we were walking to the dining hall and um, the casual dining, the casual yeah. dining, yeah. And we bumped into him, and so we all got awkward because it was like, okay, that's Roger Federer, but are we going to like surround him and harass him like everybody else does? Or you know, it was he was also like I think he had found a moment of peace, and then there were these like South African girls of a giddish like thinking, <laughs> what are we going to do? Who's going to go? And I can't remember Kate who did to was it, it, it was me Marsh. it was me yes. it, this was this was my story about my most memorable moments at the, at the olympics you know that, like really awkward reaction where yes you just caught off guard and then suddenly we we walking as a team along that path and he came towards us and it and it was like the most inappropriate reaction from me ever he is my absolute sporting idol and i literally just greeted him as if he was my best mate i said how's it rog <laughs> oh my goodness it, was, it just came out as well, I, I think that's why he was basis. probably so nice to us because we didn't and, go crazy and he and he stopped and had a photo of us and we just had a few moments right even talking yeah, some he told us, yeah he told us his kids yeah. have their South African passports and he was really proud of that so we had like yeah. a connection with, with the as Kate says her boy Raj <laughs> <laughs> special moments eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that was also quite funny. I when won't, it, when I won't, it, yeah. Carry on. You go. No, no, no. You go. You go. One of one of my other really really funny memories, um, cheap is it 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 was in those last few days that very sadly, um, I guess our athletes won't won't experience this time round, um, is when you actually get to hang about after the competition. Uh, I think that a lot of those days, a lot of the, a lot of the memorable <laughs> moments happen, and uh, um, I will never forget in London as well. You know, we were always quite jealous of the Dutch and their orange bikes because the village is big, and you got you do a lot of kilometres on the feet walking the village. Um, I see they've got some really nice automatic buses now in, in Tokyo. It looks yeah, amazing. And also but, bikes in the village. Yeah. But but the Dutch were always spoiled with an orange bike each. And it was just the Dutch riding around the, the, the village. And and on the last, on the last one of the last nights in, in London, clearly after many celebratory drinks, um, there was a group of of Dutch guys. I, I'm not sure what sporting code they were from, but they found their way um at the swimming pool in the village and and they didn't stop and they just rode their bikes straight into the pool. <laughs> and all of a sudden there were five guys on, on orange bikes and all of a sudden they were at the bottom of the pool. It was classic. It was classic. 
You speak about say, Justin. Did you give the back? Did you take the back out the pool, or did you leave it there? <laughs> <laughs> no way. He's green and gold, man. <laughs> I think one of my my favorite memories was from Beijing when I uh, I mm-hmm. went to the Jamaica house <laughs> and I was sitting in the lobby and uh, and then I was in my tracksuit our lovely tracksuit that we got uh, probably our worst kit ever was Beijing that probably goes down as one of the worst kit years and um, so I had these like massive oversized tracksuit pants in the heat and um, and Hussein Bolt was sitting he came downstairs to do an interview and he was like sitting opposite me and I was thinking like okay this is this is also an awkward I really want his autograph or I really want a photo but I had nothing I just had myself so I like she basically asked him for an autograph and he was like yeah okay but I had nothing I didn't have a pen I didn't have anything so I was like okay on my tracksuit pants so he sized <laughs> each leg of my tracksuit pants one with the 100 meter time one with the 200 meter time and then as I left I was like oh shucks I have these are my my pants that I have to travel home in so I traveled home with Hussein Bolt's signature on my tracksuit pants so that was my moment when you that you went to the Jamaican house yes by yourself like you wanted to do this where I begged you for days on end <laughs> And you were like, no, Fred, they just, I was like, Fred, please, I just want to go see what they do. And you said no. And now you're saying you can say, and you want to. <laughs> <laughs> you see what happens when you have a little bit of experience. I'm so happy we're doing this. The stories are coming up that uh, I clearly would have never known about. Yeah, well, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have got that experience of daring to visit other countries in the village because that's what we did in Athens when we had downtime. We had no cell phones. I think we had world call cards. Do you guys remember that, Jacko, Bruce? No, remember? I do. We I'm had afraid world to say, call yeah. cards, and we had to go to the. <laughs> Jeez, I'm getting my age away. Yeah, I'm really good at getting a bit see, of a I complex. I don't think here. you know what a world call card is. Do you know what Jacko? Even card? even I had yes, those. I actually so, do. <laughs> guys, guys, Sia, Sia didn't even have the mix-it grease. Pure, pure I'm not that young, Ty. <laughs> uh, trying to ask, how, how, do you, how do you put a world card, call card on your phone? I didn't, I didn't, I didn't get it. Yeah, on your mobile. Back in the day, telecom cards. <laughs> what, what, what's, a, what's a Nokia, yeah hey? um, <laughs> Snake. Bruce bringing Bruce bringing you back it's in, a long, yeah. Long story. Yeah. Um, we'll sit down. We'll sit down and watch. Um, when we when we in the semifinals, we, you and I can chill and uh, and watch a game together. I'll tell you, yeah. tell you all about it. As I remember yep. being on the bus um, on our way to breakfast, right? And the bus is obviously full because I, we chose the silliest time to go to breakfast in Athens. And Marion Jones gets on and I'm sitting and she comes and she's holding on to you know the, the pole and for a second I thought I must get up right and she must sit because this is <laughs> Marion <laughs> and then um, the little bit of uh, the devil slapped me and said no you guys are here for the same damn thing and I was like 
and I don't, it was like probably in the first three days. And that's when it kind of landed that I am my hero, you know, and I looked around and the mates that I was with, and I was like, these Masha, these Gita, I'm like, we are everything that we wanted to be. And we are here in the same capacity as the people we thought were great when we grew up or when we watched what we felt was high performance sport. And that, that moment I'll never forget because it literally hit me like, boom, because I literally felt a slap. And some, you are here for the same thing she's here for. I was like, hmm, she can stand. Folded my arms and we got to breakfast. And yeah, that's, that's one of the moments from, from Athens. There's one that involves you and I, Kate. Uh, I don't know if Jabu's going to go there before we, we, we drop the ball. Oh, we will, we will, we will. Before we, but that's, that's an on-field thing. We'll talk about that shortly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so right now we're looking, we're looking at rates um, <laughs> and, like you said, Mosh, uh, the distractions. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, well this, is, this is something that's always interested me from the outside looking in. And, and Bruce, I'll bring you in here. From either 2000, well, I'm probably going to say 2004 because 2008 it didn't happen as much. But I always imagine the South African house is quite a, a fraternity kind of thing where we're keeping up with each other's results. How big of a, a I mean, is there anything when a South African, when Chad, when uh, the Rowers, when Caster, when they won their gold me- medals, I mean, how does that kind of thing, sorry, that's 2012, obviously going back to 2004, it was the the swimming, the the awesome foursome. Uh, you know, it was Roland Skuma and History Kuta. When I mean, when they win their medals, how, how much of an impact does that make on you guys, the hockey team? And also just uh, in terms of the vibe around the team, because obviously you also experienced 2008, which was a really bad year for South Africa with only Kutzel getting the silver. I wanted to know, did you experience quite a big difference between the two? And what is the relationship like between all the different South Africans in the village? Yeah, I think uh, you mentioned about you know the when when some of our fellow South African uh, South Africans win medals. I, I think in Athens we won quite a few, and that certainly that certainly inspired you. And and I think we all celebrated when I don't, when you hear someone winning a medal, there was some sort of announcement, and it goes around. And when that person walks in, wherever you give them applause and you give them a high five, and you you know you just celebrate everyone celebrates uh, the medal win and that that inspires one as well and I mean you know the, the reality is that you you go there as a hockey team to to obviously want to win a medal but that's you know that's quite a a tall expectation but but you know that this people is winning medals that's going to inspire you it gives, it gives you hope it gives you dreams like in Kate mentioned anything is possible on the day and and for me that's why Athens was so incredibly tight because the results just didn't go our way and who you know you don't want to go there with regrets and I won't talk about Beijing because Beijing in itself as a hockey team as well we also sort of you know didn't uh, achieve what we wanted to but but that definitely 100% uh, inspires you and and just to talk about inspiration and funny enough Kate mentioned Roger Federer um, being an icon for me I met Roger not met him but we got to chat to Roger Federer as a just a normal person in Beijing because we had gone to the opening ceremony and we were making our way back. And as they mentioned, when you hear people making a bit of a noise and there's a bit of friends, you know, there's someone there that's, you know, that's very famous. And we go there and myself, I remember myself, Gally, I think it was Jeff, Jeff Abbott and Marvin Harper, we were walking together and we, we saw this crowd and we said, let's go see what's happening here. And we saw it was Roger Federer, but he had, had you know, a convoy of, 
And then with his bodyguards or teammates walking around him because everyone wants to now chat. And I remember I telling Gary, Gary, come, I need a photo with, with Roger. And I, and I go across. And as I go close to Roger, I get this big hand across the chest, like, oh, where are you going? And Roger sees this because he sees we're getting blocked. And he sees the South African flag. And he says, oh, no, it's fine. South Africans come and lets me in and takes a photo with me. And I mean, that's for me, no I mean, amazing for the type of person. That's epic. And then he goes and he gets on the, on the same bus. Because, of course, we made sure we get on the same bus and he's getting on. Uh, and we get on the bus and we sit right there by them. And he starts chatting to us. I mean, obviously, we know his, his mother's from Durban. And he starts asking us about questions about hockey. You know, just like showing a bit of interest. And, and that was, for me, it was amazing. And that also inspired me to, you know, like to really perform because these guys realized that they just, they're just human as, as everyone else. And uh, yeah, that was, that for me was quite a humbling experience. And, and that also, those are sort of experiences that, that you, you take and memories that you take back with you forever. We, we had yeah, uh, Brandon, like we had Brandon Sorry? Stone on, on the, our golf show uh, not too long ago. And Brandon, of course, represented South Africa in 2012 in, uh, in Rio in golf, uh, 2016. Sorry. And, uh, he was saying that he, he got to the Olympics a couple of days later because I think the golfing uh, competition started a few days uh, after the, uh, the Olympics kicked off. And, and he got down there and he was trying to get used to jet lag because South America's uh, quite a few hours behind SA. And uh, he, he was wide awake at like 2 a.m. and he thought, no, the hell with this, he's, he's going to go train. So he goes down to the gym and there's no one there. It's very empty and he, he starts on the treadmill. And he's running and he's going at a decent pace. And next thing, someone comes next to him. He doesn't pay attention to who it is. And the next thing, he just hears, goodoof, goodoof, goodoof. And then it just gets faster and faster and faster. And you can hear the rolling of the tread just going. And he goes, geez, he better pick up the pace. And he starts and starts and starts. Eventually, he's exhausted. He can't keep up. Turns and he looks and it's Serena Williams running next to him. And he's literally racing Serena. Well, trying to. And she's kicking, kicking his ass. <laughs> So epic. <laughs> it's a tennis, players, we, uh, uh, tennis players are very special. Um, yeah, very, very inspirational and, and prominent. Marsha got a few signatures with tennis players as well. But uh, mm-hmm. coming to the closing ceremony, um, Jacko, do you remember? We started a band that night. <laughs> we started a band. Yeah. We started yeah, a band that made, night. made it onto the stage as well. There you go. No. Who got uh, on the stage? Um, um, vaguely, vaguely. But, it, it, uh, was, it was it was Andy and myself and and you and uh, and Ned and Ned Ned and, yeah, and, and yeah. Jabba I think was Jabba yes yes I, I don't know and uh, don't know, there was a an abandoned stage and and each of us took to an instrument and and we started to uh, play. I do remember that I do remember that. I, I can't believe you nearly forgot it. Well, that's Craig Fulton for you. You see, the bad apple <laughs> infiltrates the barrel, and then you got no you got no prize. But I must say, I mean, you're on such a tight such a, such a tight leash that. The release when you when when your games are finally over, it's I mean, and it doesn't get completely debaucherous, but it's just such a you know, I think it's it's and you're in this awesome environment, and you get to, then you get to to watch some of these world class events as well. I mean, we haven't even spoken about some of the stuff you get to watch. You know, uh, you know some of the stuff that we've seen over the years at, at the Olympics was, was was really pretty cool. But um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, thanks for the, reminding me of that one, Kate. I've forgotten about that. On that subject, Craig, how, how does it work in terms of having access to other sporting events? Can you just walk in and watch? I, I think it's changed. <laughs> I think it's changed over the years. Um, certainly, in in Atlanta, um, 
you know, you put your name down and you hope if like you have, obviously you're there to, to compete in your sport, but if you, you, you only allowed to train certain, because every team is trying to train on the off days as well. So you might get given a slot or whatever. So if you're playing today and you're not playing tomorrow, for example, you might have a training session tomorrow. So you, have to, you might have tomorrow sort of afternoon free or your, your coaching staff will say you got the morning off, whatever the case is. And then you can, this is certainly how it happened in the earlier days. You could put your name down to go to, you know, swimming was always a big one. You could never get into swimming, but certainly at something like athletics, um, much bigger stadium, you know, so I saw like the four by 100 meters. I saw some really cool stuff. Um, so it's a little bit lack of the drawish, but um, other thing about the Olympics is you know, certainly the, the way I feel about it is I'm not particularly into whatever, um, you know, how, pick a sport, but you're, how, still, watch, how, how you're long, still watching the world's best. So I still, how long were the still cues watching, to, you know? to, to dressage? Was that quite a struggle to get into? Uh, I wasn't interested in dressage, and I'm not sure if um, volleyball, uh, beach volleyball, was it wasn't beach a sport back then. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, yeah. Uh, that would have been fairly popular as well. But uh, yeah, I know. Yeah, so it's yeah. I mean, there's interesting stuff, you know. Like even you, you know, this, it's stuff that you wouldn't really go and watch ordinarily, possibly. But it's still you get you get the whole sense of the vibe, and you know, there's no. I think a lot of what a lot of people don't realize, a lot of non-sporting people, there's no such thing as an easy Olympic medal. It's not like a case of okay, well, I'm going to take up this sport so I can maybe medal in that sport. I mean, it's, it's the world's best, you know, competing. And, uh, you know, it, for that reason, it's, you know, I, I'll watch any sport if it's the world's best competing, even if I'm a bit pretty clueless about what it entails. Well, I think, Jacko, that's probably why I enjoyed Athens the most, was not only because it was my first one, but also because uh, it was probably one of the uh, more relaxed games in terms of people with meditation. So normally uh, they're really strict um, at the security checks and you have to have your accreditation with your ticket and or you have to have an accreditation that allows you entry into that particular venue. Um, and because I have no idea why the volunteers just was, were more relaxed. I don't know if it was just a Greek thing or whether they were just struggling to really identify pick people to the pictures. So in Athens, when we had some downtime, um, we actually swapped accreditation with track and field athletes that were uh, resting while all the events were taking place. So we well, weren't you one of the IOC athletes representatives? <laughs> yes. Uh, well, then, geez, sorry, I, hope you kept, I, hope, I hope you kept that quiet in your interview, Marsh. Not that. <laughs> but, but Athens, yeah, so we swapped. And I remember... Polo, I don't know who was it. It was Liesl Dorothy. She was even, she had a, a guy's accreditation. But so we would like, we would go around looking for like athletes that maybe resent, we had like the same color hair or something <laughs> similar trait. And, but, but then we realized that they weren't even checking. They were literally only checking to see if the, the part of the accreditation that allowed you entry into that venue. So we would tie our jackets around our waist to cover the picture a bit and then show the accreditation and go in and we would sit in the athlete section of the stands and, and watch some of the events. And I think that that also made the games that much more special was, uh, you know, having your competition, knowing what you were there for, uh, what made you an Olympian, but also the extra experience of the other, the other events. Um, And in, it was probably the only games that we had the opportunity to do it a little bit more freely um, whereas now I think it's 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 a little bit more difficult. Well, definitely this year, um, 
But I think like London was was really tough. I think there wasn't even enough space in the stands for us to watch the finals as like the player section um, and the volunteers were super strict. So uh, there were a lot of sort of arguments uh, in the stands with the volunteers and and some of the players yeah. trying to watch the I'll, final. Unlike the British just want to stick to the rules. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, I think look, looking back at London, as you mentioned, Marcel, was what was really cool for me was was being in the dining hall quite often with big groups of South African team. And I remember quite clearly um, Chad competing in the 200. And we were sitting, at, I can't remember, it would have been around breakfast or lunchtime and sitting next to a table full of Americans and seeing them just going absolutely nuts while Phelps was in the lead and just the South African contingent just slowly getting a little bit more enthusiastic, like watching a Bok game in a, in a Irish pub somewhere overseas <laughs> and and you're coming back and I mean I just remember going absolutely berserk and we were on the tables and there was food flying everywhere and going absolutely nuts when you managed to win it and like those are the moments that stick out in my mind the most I think like obviously competing and and meeting your heroes um yeah I, I'm met Ryan Giggs who as a Manchester United fan since a, a very very young age was an ultimate moment for me, but I managed to alienate him pretty quickly by asking him, uh, how's the family, uh, which I didn't really think through at the time, which is 2012. And that obviously, I don't know if, how many of you know the scandal, but he'd been <laughs> hooking up with his brother's wife for a while. Um, I was just in awe of meeting him and I managed to drop that bomb, which uh, didn't go down particularly well. But, uh, you know, those not are the kinds of things that you do. No, not my best, not my <laughs> best, but yeah, starstruck. What can you do? Um, <laughs> Justin, I, I, I once met uh, Joel Stransky. At a, a whiskey tasting. Now, I didn't know the guy, and he was saying to me, Yes, you know, it's so tough that everybody only remembers me for one moment of my career. And I was like, What, when you missed that kick in front of the post for province in the Curry Cup final? And he looked at me and he's like, I turned around and started talking to someone else. I was like, well, I think I'm not getting a photo with him tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Look, j- just you—you you obviously have been playing at the top uh, level over in in Holland, and in the last uh, uh, twelve months with COVID, you've experienced going from full full stadiums, packed crowds, festive oh. to well, full stadium. Well, specifically, yeah, yeah, when, yeah. When, when you were playing, for maybe, 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 maybe at my last club, but uh, yeah, we have been playing for the last year. It's been a slightly different situation, but yeah. But even that, the end of, I think it was the end of your Amsterdam time was affected, yeah. right? I mean, how much of an impact is that going to make over in, in Tokyo now for, for the fans? I mean, you guys speak about it so so remarkably, how much the fans lift, the experience lifts. I mean, the South African teams are used to playing in front of very small or empty crowds. But, you know, for the competition itself... Yeah, how much do you think this is going to impact on the actual competition? The fact that it's going to be empty. I mean, uh, yeah. guys, you, you you all want to chime in here, I think. But I think in terms of the atmosphere itself, it's 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 going to be quite eerie. I think walking into a stadium, uh, warming up, and hearing the echo of the ball hitting off uh, hitting off the goals and stuff with with nobody. Okay, yeah, you'll have some some sound being played and some music and stuff. But I think it's going to be a really weird feeling uh, for the guys you know, being in that situation where there's there's no echo of the crowd, there's no cheering, there's no massive celebrations, which at the same time might in one some way play into the hands of, of the South African teams. And I'd like to think it will. Um, I think like we've all mentioned at some point in this chat, we're, we're known for our resilience. Um, yeah, and a situation like that, you know, playing in front of s- small or no crowds, yeah, that, that's that's nothing new to us. 
uh, and often being considered the underdog and, and not having the support behind you. Yeah, I think a lot of the a lot of the teams are going to underestimate that, um, and and I think that's something that we can play to our advantage. And if, especially if I look at the at the schedule that the men have in particular. Um, you know, you're opening against a, a GB team who have had a lot of time together and and have a lot of expectation. You know, they've got a centralized program. They've got all the funding in the world. I think that's a nice opportunity to start the tournament off with uh, with an upset, uh, walk away with three points early on, and then, uh, you know, set yourself up for another three points against Canada late in the tournament and hope, hope to to pick up a point in between. Uh, Paul is nodding in agreement here, so I think I've, I've hit the game plan pretty spot on. But um, <laughs> no, I... I I think it's gonna it's gonna be for the for the individuals and for the players it's gonna be tough um, for for players that haven't experienced an Olympic Games before. Missing out on that element, I think, is gonna be really really tough. Um, but at the same time, a lot of them won't have experienced that, so they might not know what they're missing out on. Uh, I see, yeah, Marsh, you're nodding. Uh, maybe you want to take yeah. over. No, I I don't know. I I sometimes question like the impacts of COVID has been. Um, really big for everybody and like Justin has said like he's and Tyron you mentioned he's played in in the best league in the world with no no people in the stands so actually like teams who have who are accustomed to having people in the stands have also gotten used to not having people in the stands and they've played the the uh, pro league as well with no people in the stands but they are countries where they have had people and I um I I'm part of like an um, one of the IOC committees and one of the New Zealand BMX athletes, she said for New Zealand going to the Olympic Games, their biggest challenge is going to be adjusting to wearing face masks because they haven't had to wear face masks. They, mm. They've controlled COVID in such a way that the minute people enter New Zealand, they go into quarantine at the airport. So they're not enter, like joining the public. And so nobody has ever had to wear a face mask. And I don't know about you guys, but I've gotten used to not wearing a face mask that coming here on holiday, like we have to wear a face mask all the time and I'm dying. And I don't even have to like think about competing at the highest level. So I can imagine how that becomes an issue for them. And the people in the stands is less of an issue versus like these other uh, daily elements um, but maybe for teams like Australia and New Zealand the empty stands is going to be a bigger issue than it is going to be for the the European teams who have also gotten the, used to it. The other, the, sorry Marsh, don't interrupt. The other thing that I think is yeah. of relevance is I mean we all know that we're not really going there on a level playing field. We never do. You know, I mean the other, you know, Justin talks about the um, the program that the English have got and that's just one example but I think what COVID has done is interrupted your traditional preparation for the Olympics, you know? So the Aussies and the Belgians, I know they've had pro league and the like, but they haven't lined up all these pre-prep tournaments. And obviously the SA guys lost out on Malaysia and had to play against Namibia, et cetera, et cetera. But in the bigger scheme of things, you know, I think back to, to my days when I was playing and the more you could sort of unsettle the opposition, you know, you'd rather play them on like a bumpy field or as a, as a crude example, but what mm -hmm. this has done is put a few speed bumps in, 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 in the, in the path of, of a, of a very slick Olympic preparation for these other teams. And for our guys, it's like, you know, we used to having half a team in Europe and half a team in South Africa and making do type thing, you know? So I think COVID has been a, an absolute disaster and it's been tragic on many levels, but in terms of this, I think if you, if you, if you, 
if you're assessing how it's going to impact South Africa versus how it might impact the teams we're playing against, I think net-net it might be advantageous to us because, you know, yeah. we're used to just rolling up our sleeves and getting on with it. Whereas, you know, this is a massive curve. I mean, if you can you imagine one of the Southern guys saying his biggest adjustment is that he's, he's got to get used to wearing a mask. I mean, they could say, can you just toughen can you just toughen up a bit, please? You know, yeah. it's, a crit- it's a crit example, but it's, you know, that's that's New Zealand versus South Africa as as an example, you know, mm-hmm. and, and our guys and girls, I think, you know, we've had to deal with COVID, but, you know, our prep would have been far sub-optimal compared to the teams we, we're competing against. And I know that the men, and I, and I say, I, again, I speak with a little bit of authority being a selector on the men's side of things, and um, it's a happy team. They've done, they've done a lot of hard yards behind the scenes, doing things that they can do. You know, the mental aspects and the, and and getting to know what 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 makes the guy next to you tick, and and hopefully that's that's building a whole lot of uh, you know um, additional muscle that will help when the when the when the chips are down. But Jacko, don't you think that that's also like the important element that you've just mentioned is the mental part and the focus on the internal focus? Because I think that a lot of the things. I don't know about you guys, but I, I know that it's also a default of ours as South Africans to always look to the outside and see ourselves as some sort of victim. We can't have the, the funding. We can't yeah. have the whatever. And actually, yeah. if we change our mindset and see it as we have resilience, we have tenacity, and we're all in the same boat. We're all playing in an empty stadium. We all, you know, and if you if we use it to our advantage and not look at the outside, which I think you guys who are working with the men, Sia mentioned it, you've mentioned it, Paul has mentioned it. There's a lot of internal focus on the like the mental training. I think that that is that for me that gets me excited about them looking forward to watching the men play and I think if we keep reminding them that to stay on that path if you listen to Penny Haynes speak when she speaks about winning her medals um, she says that the competition there was a swimming competition before um, before Sydney and she she lost because at the starting blocks she kept looking to the side of her and remembering what her her competitor was strong at and in Sydney she just focused on herself and focused what she was good at and she didn't bother looking left or right she just kept her focus on herself on her breathing on her strokes and she won gold and I think that that is these are the types of things that we have to I wish that somebody had kept reminding me that at the Olympic games before just to jump onto yours and Jacko's comment um I think one, com- uh, one concept we always take as the team uh, is TIA. Uh, this is Africa. Whenever we go and play a tournament in North Africa, we are normally the guys that are on top where the rest of the nation see us as the advantageous uh, nation. And normally we, we take that for granted to some extent, but when we go to these international tournaments, it's the other way around. So... I'd say in some way or another, we can take the TIA concept everywhere we go because now we have an identity for ourselves because we know that we are resilient, yet there are so many things that we are so good at that other nations don't have. If, let's say, a, a top five nation had to, had to have all of their preparation things taken away from them, how would they adjust to those, to those standards? Would they be able to keep up or would they fall behind? And... I think that's where we need to embrace a little bit more in what we have and what we're resilient about going forward. And as South Africans, there's a whole lot to play for right now. 
Exactly. Yeah. See, before you, you stepped in, I was about to literally throw the mic at you and say, you know, we had 18 days in Poch. Um, and um, I tallied up and I said to Springs, I'm like, 29 sessions, Springs? He's like, really? Is, is that how many we've had? And I was like, you didn't count when you were putting this program together? I was like, no, I just knew what we didn't do, when, and when I said to you guys, you'd come back to me and say, no, it's not going to work, or this is the right program. And I'm like, no, this has been perfect. Um, and in those 18 days, you guys, Sia, every day without fail, had at 7.30, I think it was, had a walk as a team. And those conversations, Springs, myself, um, Sigs, Ashlyn, Chairs, we don't have, we don't really get into those discussions, right? And those conversations. And that is something so special that is, but there's a team and there's a family. And in those 10, 15 minutes, that's where family starts becoming what it should be. And we never ask, right? So yeah, we've never asked what, what, is, what the chat are about. Um, if there was anything that came from that that needed to be handled by the, the, the coaching staff, it would come. But there was no uh, feedback from the walk. The walk was for the boys and we get to breakfast and the boys are like all hyped up. I'm like, my God, I just woke up 20 minutes ago and you guys are already on like four hours into the day. Uh, and just that culture that you we've been breeding and yes, I was late in. I've been only been with you guys for about two years. But wow. Um, and that's what I wanted to throw to you. And you've already spoken about, uh, about, about TIA and what that means to us and how we can use that against the rest of the world. And hey, man. Hey, man. Come on. Hey. Start <laughs> this is what it's about. This is exactly what it's about. Like people, people don't, don't see all the nitty gritties. There's, there's a lot of conflict and a lot of clashing that happens, but it's necessary stuff because... If we were all in the same mindset, I don't think we would be striving to be a better nation or better players. And it's it's beautiful because everyone comes with different ideas and there's always some form of disagreement. But at the end of the day, once we get onto the park, we have we have to sing the same song and <laughs> and play the same game. So yeah, that's the beauty of it all. I love that. To be honest, I, lo I love that you're being real and I love that you're being honest about it because I think that um, for for a lot of teams that I've been in, uh, there are moments that we, we tend to stick our heads in the sand and never and not want to embrace the conflict. And from the conflicts, we only grow um, if we if we can see that. And I, I love that you guys are embracing that. And, you know, you said like you have tough discussions and I was never a fan of conflict. Um, myself so but I had to learn to get uncomfortable um, but I'm at, I really love that that's where the men's team is at and that's what you, where you guys also see the positive from it and it's not that you see it as a as something an Achilles heel that's holding you back but you see it as more the platform to grow um, yeah. I think it's really really inspiring it, it would be nice it's a pity that none of us have that insight into the women's team um, because mm. this is really lovely <laughs> to be inspired by what the men are doing and and to hear from you know all of you that are involved in some way whether it's a selector or player or or coach um, 
but it, it would be nice uh, to get a little bit of insight into where the women are at and what their mentality is like. Because I think at the end of it, you know, Tyron, your question was about the stands, uh, people in the stands. I think that Tokyo is going to be just the mental games for all the athletes. I think that a lot of the athletes are leaving home with a lot of stuff on their minds. Um, there are a lot of athletes who have prepared for years for this and, and like Sia, are, are having to stay at home the last minute for a number of reasons, whether it's injury or whether it's a, a positive COVID test. Um, and that's, that's always going to upset uh, the rest of the, the games in some way, whether it's your teammates, whether it's the competition. Um, but yeah, I think Tokyo 2021 is just going to be uh, mental games. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we, we will be hearing from some people involved, Michael Baker, Sandile Bosman, they'll be joining us for the, the, the Talking Tokyo series when we preview uh, the girls' games as well. Uh, you know, one of the things that we haven't touched on, and, and I think it would be a miss not to at least talk about it, you've all been to the Olympic Games. We've, we've spoken about that. We've spoken about the fun off the field, the mental side of it. But each of you must have a standout memory from your time on the turf. And Polo, I'm going to go to you because, uh, no, of course I'm going to start with you because yours involves another person on the call anyway. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, um, actually, was Susan our captain then? Yes. Yeah. yes. So captain Susan has the ball about seven yards outside the circle. Uh, the neural will come in. We can't go straight in because obviously I was a great leader inside. I'm moving, moving and shaking, right? losing everyone that wants to come anywhere near me. No, they have to go outside. Ball goes right. Ah, oh, Kate Hector Woods these days carries the ball. I'm like, I'm open. No, she wants to carry it in. I'm like, oh, come on, Kate. She goes in. She takes a shot. Oh, my God. And the rebound goes straight back to her. On her forehand, boom, comes onto my forehand, hands apart, come on. Um, oh, and uh, what too many people don't know, uh, a lot of people don't know, is that once the ball went past the Spanish um, goalkeeper, in, when, once it touched the net, I kind of blacked out. You don't see that on TV because <laughs> I've been doing this my whole life, right? Have I score a goal, I celebrate. And I'm so I come to, I'm on the halfway line, and Pretty is literally shaking me, saying, <laughs> you did it, you effing did it. And I'm like, yeah, of course I did. I'm like, what? <laughs> I know you don't know this game. <laughs> awesome. I did not know that. Yeah. So um, for, for years, people have been asking me, like, I've got the DVD. Can I give it to you? Uh, Sia, do you know what DVDs are? My, my of young course. <laughs> Of course, we need to have a VCR too. Oh, all right, all right. I thought you stream everything these days. So, yes, yeah, so nah. have offered to give me the DVD. I was like, some memories, because I didn't remember anything after literally touching the ball and it hitting the back of the net, right? For years. Um, it's been about, about three or four years. And Athens was 17 years ago. So I, I left it for a good 14, 15 years until I 
Okay, cool. Let me let me see this moment because I, some moments I feel that should be left in the moment, but all I know is that moment had literally changed my life, and I wouldn't be Coach Paula without that goal because I wouldn't be as pedantic about scoring goals, and I wouldn't be about the nine yard or the six yard area as I am right now. And Sia knows it. <laughs> yeah, and of, uh, of course, that was a, a 4 3 win over Spain. So it was uh, a match winning goal. Not just no, goal. no, 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 in, in the middle, 33rd minute. No, 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 you're claiming it. You're claiming it. Okay. <laughs> but Sia knows that even when I have a goalkeeper session with the national guys, every time I score against a national goalkeeper, I'm like, this is what I do, man. This is what I do. <laughs> uh, what about only, you? Bruce? Only the others. Only the others, Paul. <laughs> what about you, Bruce? What is your uh, Olympic highlight on the field? I think uh, my Olympic highlight has to go to our first match at Athens against Argentina. Obviously, a big deal because of my first Olympic Games. And I know we didn't touch on, you know, we speak about things being different now uh, for this Tokyo, but a big part of it is also that opening ceremony and going to those sort of things and experiencing that. Uh, but I remember going to sleep the night before our, our first game against Argentina and, and, and Rez being the third coach, he's, he's, he's given us a whole briefing of who's starting, which game and what your role is going to be for every match. So you prepare yourself. You know you're, tomorrow you're starting and you're playing this and this role. And we played Argentina our first game and obviously still taking in the whole vibe and the crowd and everything. Um, and I remember, uh, I think we were, it was one all. Or we were, it was uh, no, no, I can't remember the exact score, but I remember getting the ball from the back, uh, fast to me, and, and so I just received the ball in the midfield, and I turned and I just saw Beefy way up on the 25, and I just gave it one full shot. And I found Beefy on the top of the D, and he scored this incredible goal because he ran inside from the 25 across and had a backseat goal. And I mean, it wasn't my goal, but I, but it, I mean, that was the winning goal, and that that for me was special. Um, so yeah, that is that is something that I'll never forget my on-field experience and memory, fond memory. Yeah, Paula's going well to remember that, Paula. No, I, I'm I'm like I'm thinking back at Athens. I'm like, give Beefy the ball. There's a great outcome, you know. And he'd made himself that kind of a person. And the fact that you remember that moment so well, I'm like, yeah, yeah, we all saw that goal. And it all gave us the 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 people that were at Athens like boys are doing all right. We can do all right, and we did all right. Eh? And, and like Marsh said, we we beat uh, the the gold medalists three 0 and that's something special. And we look back, and these are the small things that we're hoping the twenty twenty one crew can take on because there's no team in the world that does not fear us. They know that we have moments of greatness. And, and that's what uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, in Tokyo this year. Yeah, I think that was beautifully summarized there about the, the fact that there's no team in the world that doesn't fear South Africa. And I think that's across the board in any sporting context. And we've seen how well South Africa has done uh, when it comes to any uh, sporting event. And uh, hockey is certainly no different, especially when it comes to the Olympics, especially in anything. At the Olympics, Kate, your favorite on-field memory when it comes to uh, your three Olympic Games that you took part at? It's not one moment, but it's one game. 
and it's definitely in London against the USA. We had to win by 5-0 in order to play for the higher classification against the US. And, and honestly, they were ranked a couple of, couple of places above us. Um, the odds were stacked against us and we didn't only win. We didn't only win 5-0, we won 7-0. And it was just that moment in sport where just everything came together. And it was a complete team effort, um, you know, multiple people scoring, but those kind of goals that start from the keeper and work their way up the field. And, and it was just goal, goal. And the belief and the confidence that started to sort of build amongst the team, it, it was truly the most memorable sporting moment I think I'll, I'll always just keep with me. Oh, man, jeez. Uh, I've got to admit, and I, I know for a fact Ty feels the same way. I mean, you can imagine how envious myself and him are of uh, all of you Olympians to be able to recount memories like these. And I'm sure, Justin, uh, you've got uh, one or two in the bag that uh, will forever live in the memory banks. Uh, yeah, you could say that. Similar to Polo, also against Spain. Um, I had to wait. I had to wait till the third game of the tournament uh, to get my first flick uh, in the game. So that was a bit uh, that was a bit frustrating, having built up to game one and not getting any against Australia. Uh, two all draw against GB in game two, no corners, and uh, and finally in game three, getting my first flick of the tournament. And you know those moments you kind of you've, you've played over in your head so many so many times, and you had your spot that you're going to flick, and I knew exactly where it was going, and everything went wrong, straight into the first wave ball into the deck, over the keeper's head. Uh, it was the worst goal I scored the whole tournament, but I couldn't care less. And yeah, I've, yeah I guess I've been known for, for maybe being a little bit over-enthusiastic with my celebrations uh, over the years. Jake, you might remember my first ever goal celebration at the Com Games in Melbourne where I left the entire team behind to run to my grandfather who was on the other side of the, on the, side of the field in the halfway line. Yeah, yeah. So my grandfather had made his first trip overseas ever in his lifetime to come and watch me play my my debut, uh, and I managed to score on debut. Anyway, that's that was Com Games. Back to the Olympics. Uh, absolutely incredible moment, scoring uh, my first uh, Olympic goal. And yeah, uh, I, I've I've got pictures of that moment, and I've got videos of that moment. And every single time I see it pop up or I see a video come by, I just get that same feeling of. Yeah, I guess it's some some type of combination of yeah, passion, emotion, fear, uh, hope. Um, you know, we ended up losing the game, but just feeling that you've done something to contribute to your team potentially winning and potentially getting a result against one of the best teams in the world. Uh, yeah, that that feeling you never lose. I don't think. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, and that you know, thinking about it now and talking about it has also kind of got me going. Like, geez, what am I doing? I'm sitting on the couch. I'm going to get in a plane and bug off to Tokyo as soon as possible. Just go do your COVID test quickly and you never know. <laughs> it could be spaced. Uh, Jacko, what about yourself? Two Olympic Games, uh, missing the one in the middle, but uh, lots of highlights. Anyone that stands out for you? Yeah, the game that Bruce talks about is is certainly one. Um, it's interesting, and and it ties in maybe with what Justin was saying that you know in in Atlanta our first game was Australia, and we got a draw. You know, shocked everyone. Didn't really shock us. Um, but our, our, our game before that against Australia in in, in the lead up, probably four, four months prior, they beat us. I think eleven one in Canberra. And uh, we walked into the change room after. I remember saying to Gary Boddington, I said, geez, I can't believe they fell for that sucker punch. I mean, we managed to sneak a one-all draw. So that, that sticks out. Um, and then also that game that Bruce was talking about, Argentina, that happens even our 200th uh, cap. So that is quite special. And it, it teed us up nicely for the rest of that uh, that Olympic um, um, that tournament. Um, unfortunately, we didn't manage to 
to win any other of our pool games, which is, uh, as, as Bruce said, I mean, we, the, the gold medal game that, that Olympics was, was Netherlands, Australia, and we lost by a single goal to both those guys. So again, it talks to the common thread that's coming out here that on our day, the margins are, are, are very, very slight. Um, but, um, that was a that was a, a game that everything just went according to the plan. You know, um, Rev's meticulous in his preparation, and we had, we had targeted certain games we needed to win. That was one of them. Them in India, I think, was was the other one that we we maybe let ourselves down a bit in that game, having been two 0 up at one stage. But uh, yeah, just everything sort of came together that game, and, and it was a nice nice way to start the the tournament. And also, as I said, tournament cap was quite special. Yeah, I won't lie. There was another game there as. Uh... One of those ardent uh, fans who are a little bit petty at times because that's what sports fans can be like. I really enjoyed that victory over Egypt. In fact, as a, a, a hockey watcher, as a South African hockey watcher, uh, that was really probably one of the first games where I got to watch on TV live. And yeah. That's actually a good point, uh, Ty, because as Bruce mentioned, Egypt were there because we dropped the ball in Nigeria. Kate and Marshall remember that that, that uh, uh, beat him in the pool game and and somehow conspired to lose the you know the whole lot of things and you, and if again the lesson that was we could have wallowed in our self pity but we picked ourselves up and managed to against all odds qualify um, to get to the Olympics as well and, and had Egypt in our pool so there, there was always there's always needle in that game and Sia can relate to that he would have played against Egypt a number of times and I think it's still very much the case you know, don't, you know trying to um, compete with them for the African sort of mantle um, but uh, that game in, at the Olympics again just vindicated how what you know, the gap that we'd managed to establish between ourselves and them it's never pleasant playing against them unfortunately I don't know if things have changed but um um, yeah, it was quite nice to put one over. It always is, um, you know, particularly with the, what happened in, in the Budja. Last but not least, Marsha of our Olympians joining us tonight. 2004, 2008 and 2012. Which individual moment, if there is one, ranks as your favourite memory? No, I was just listening to these amazing stories and thinking... I've never scored a goal at the Olympic game. <laughs> I didn't score many goals in my career, so it's no surprise. But um, yeah, I think mine are exactly the same as as Kate. The German game uh, in Athens where we went. But what what for me is so special about that German game is actually the day before. So we were we were proper victimizing ourselves you know like we're the victim this is not going well it's not going as the way we wanted it to go uh, we're just losing we're not getting the results we want and we were really down in the dumps and we had uh kate do you remember our and paula do you remember our uh the sports psychologist that was working with us uh leading up to the game he came into the room and he said right not- yeah mm-hmm. mark Yes, and he said to us, right, I I can just picture him standing there, he wore glasses, he was standing there, and he was just like, right, guys, it's not going the way you wanted it to go. So, uh, like, we had this this exercise where we wrote down our biggest frustrations and fears, and we, we scrunched up these pieces of paper, and we smashed them out of the room as if we were, like, hitting home runs at the biggest baseball game in the world. And that gave us such a release that we went into the, the German game 
feeling like the tournament had just started for us. And I think that's why that game, it's not just the results. It's just that feeling from before um, that for us, that was sort of the start of the tournament for us. And if only it, had, it was earlier when the tournament actually started, but I think that that game was a turning point for our team and, um, you know, not just being the, and then we walk away from that Olympic games being the only team to take points off the goal, the gold medalist. And I think that that's why it's, it definitely probably stays as, as one of my favorites, you know, London was great. The U S game, we were, we were like cheering, like we were rock stars with every goal. I think we, we thought that everybody in the stands was just there for us. We were like, this is our moment. <laughs> Can you remember it? We celebrated each goal. Like we had, we were winning the gold medal um, on that day, but, uh, that German game stands out for me because I think we just went into it with a completely different mentality and uh, and we left the games knowing that, you know, like we did it. And if only we had that faith in ourselves earlier. Well, Marsha, on that subject and, and on that line of, of inspiration, uh, there's no doubt that uh, a lot of the players are fans of the show, we'd like to think, although we know for a fact, and, and many have been guests, and uh, yeah, they'll be listening uh, to this, uh, no doubt. Uh, some, some words of wisdom from yourself, having been to three Olympic Games, captain twice. Uh, what is your message to the men and ladies who will be representing South Africa uh, over in Japan? I think Derek, you know, we've touched on a lot of the, the things. I think they're probably, if I have to pick three top things, it would be keep the focus on yourselves. Uh, embrace embrace the conflicts, embrace the distractions, embrace everything that's happening. But when it comes to stepping on the field for competition, focus on you and your game plan and what you need to do. We've seen so many teams in the world at major events shock everybody with unorthodox play some players on the field that we would probably look at going huh? how do they play international hockey but they do it because the whole team focuses on their team uh process their team goal their team uh structures for for that game so my first one would be just focus on on yourselves and two off the field enjoy it as much as possible and and three yeah go out there and make memories love it well, I see you raising your hand. It's not a class. You can speak whenever you want to, but uh, feel free to chat. No, I just, I just think, you know, Marsha talking about that Germany game that was so memorable for, for us as the South African women's team. And I know that in that game, I think I might have played one or two minutes. Um, I had I made the team literally the last minute to to come into being an Olympian. So a good friend of mine was got injured um, in, the, in, the, in the holding camp and I got called up. Um, and obviously, Sia and I have kind of had this conversation. I had this conversation with, with Gawain now who went in, in Sia's place. And these are things that we don't know really all the time about what happens to players that come in last minute or people that don't actually make it last second. And these are still memories that that lost a lifetime. Um, and we know in right now in the national men's team, we've had three guys that had to be replaced. Um, it's it's heart-wrenching for all of us that sit here and look at 
you know, um, I know C and I have had long chats about, about, you know, what's happened right now. But going forward, it's there's someone who's there who thinks maybe I shouldn't be here. And, and how do they make those memories, Marsh, that you just spoke about, like make those damn memories. And it's really tough when you don't feel like you belong at, at times. But again, as South Africans, I walked into that team. I had literally there were 16 players. I had 15 hugs from every single teammate, even people that I'd never hugged before. When I walked into camp that day, everybody made sure they touched me. And we talk about South Africans being, geez, like we are the greatest, aren't we? Um, and, and, and we know how to uplift each other. We know how to help each other. And even what's, with what's going on in the country right now, I've seen so many people that are here or not here, making sure that they, they can give whatever they can. Um, so yeah, there, there are moments where you don't feel you belong. And then when your moment comes, make the best of it. Damn, make the best of it. And, and we do that. And everyone around you is happier than you about making this damn moment happen for yourself. So I can't wait to see players, um, staff, physios, doctors, Team South Africa, who weren't really on the books maybe a year and a half ago, who are now going to be in Tokyo. And they come back with stories that are going to be changing lives either for themselves or the people around them or even their families. So this is the exciting part about the Olympic Games, right? It's, 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 about, it's about the culture, it's about humanity, it's about all of us just competing and people around you making you feel like you're a superstar. Um, Paul, just to jump onto your chat there, you're touching, touching heartstrings there. Like I'd say the biggest thing more than anything is just having a conversation with, with the guy that's going to be taking your spot because there's a level of guilt or there's a level of, of whatever they might be feeling in the moment. But one thing that, that stood out the most is that the same people have been in this process with you from the very beginning. So it, it hasn't, it has, it's not necessarily about, yes, the moment sucks because you might not be going, but this is the same person that has kept you accountable, kept you on your toes all this time, has, has also been fighting for that spot too. So I think it's important that uh, guys, guys, girls also realize that in, in the spirit of competition, in the spirit of competition, it's essential for you to understand that everyone is putting in the work. It's not just, it's not just you only. It's just maybe a dream delayed, but not a dream denied. Just one more thing, Derek, from me. Um, I agree wholeheartedly with what Marsha was saying. The only other thing I would add in is almost you got to expect the unexpected and, you know, expect the highs to be higher than you expect, expect the lows to possibly be lower than you expect. And I mean, let's be honest, there's a, a possibility that the men or women's team could take a, a, a big score from you know one of the world's best teams, but there's also a possibility they might get points against Great Britain, for example, the men, I think the men should be focusing on points against Great Britain, win against Canada, and suddenly you're in that you're in, you're in the mix, you know. So whether you whether these teams lose a six 0 or a seven 0 or an eight 0 whatever the case is against one of these teams, and it might happen. Hopefully, it doesn't happen, but it might happen. So you get naught points in that game. You pick yourself up and you go and get points in the next game. And uh, the history of our performances at the Olympics are such that 
we do surprise teams. And if you can continue to do that at, the, at these Olympics, then, then, then I think it's job done because you'll still be inspiring the next Justin Reed Ross of the world, you know? Um, and I think there's a danger that, like we said earlier, or Marsh was saying, like, you, we play the victim card. Oh, we've lost this. We've lost that. Pick yourself up. There's another opportunity tomorrow. And you win that game and, and, and things change. Your mindset changes and, and it's a new beginning again. So that's what I'd say to them in, in over and above what Marsh is saying. Um, is that the emotional rollercoaster they're about to get on. And admittedly, there's no crowds there, so that's a double-edged sword, I guess. Um, but there's, they're, they're in for something they've never experienced before, and that's got to embrace that. Guys, can I excuse myself? Sorry, I can hear a, a baby crying. I'm going to get yanked out of your embarrassing shortly. So let me rather preempt that. Uh, nice. Very lucky like, uh, seeing everyone, and uh, look forward to chatting to, to guys again, man. Probably, uh probably preluded to where we were about to go next. Uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate enough to be a fan of all eight or all seven of our guests tonight, um, but more fortunate to have become friends with you guys over the sport of hockey over the past decade that I've been talking and writing about the sport. It's been a privilege. You've inspired me, the patience that people have uh, with uh, the sport at times and the administrators and the fact that they still put their country first always is something that always inspires me and is a lesson that I am constantly sharing with uh, both of my sons maybe one of them is taking it in a little bit more than the other seems the, the youngest is still very young uh, and he's named after a rugby player my bad uh, but uh, yeah it was an absolute pleasure I could sit here and listen all night um, but it's almost morning now and we need to get some some sleep before Tokyo starts thank you for joining us I look forward to uh, talking about Tokyo as the tournament goes underway. We'll have two or three guests as we look at each game. But I hope tonight, or whenever you are listening to this, has wet the whistle, has uh, made you hungry for the main event. This was the starter and it's just going to get better. Can South Africa go and ruffle some feathers? Well, there's no doubt that we can. Will we? That's what we'll find out over the next week and a half. They're in Tokyo. They're there to do South Africa pride. And uh, what a great, great opportunity. Nine years since South African hockey was at the Olympic Games. We're going to make sure that people know we're there. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. It's been fantastic. I can't wait. The spirit of Ubuntu is back. <laughs> sure is. Thanks, Tyron. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. guys. Cheers, Thanks, Eric. Thanks, everybody. Looking forward to the banter during the games as well. Can't wait. Cheers. Cheers, guys. Bye. Bye.